Coming up on Podcast 1882, the Ford F-150 Lightning to triple production, Tesla semi-charger network, and an update from China. Welcome to a new Patreon producer, Brad Snyder. Now, Brad signed up about a week ago, actually, last Tuesday. I like to do a name a day. If I have a backlog, that's nice. And if not, uh, often many days, nobody to say thank you to. But if I've got more than one patron name, I'm only going to say one name a day because, hey, that's just like everyone gets their, you know, their moment, doesn't it? So Brad signed up to be a producer. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. You do uh, pay my wages, how I make a living. And thank you very much to going, uh, for going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash EV News Daily and being one of the most incredible people in the world. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to EV News Daily, your trusted source of EV information for Wednesday, 2nd of August. Martin Lee here. I go through every EV story, so you don't have to. I'm here to save you time. It's the job that I do. Hopefully, it's a service that you appreciate and saves you time. It's the one thing that's the most precious to us, right? So if I can give you 15 minutes of EV news a day, that is everything I think is important to the EV world, filtering out the noise, then it's a good job done for me. We'll start with this news that was some wonderful original reporting by Bloomberg's Sean O'Kane and Dana Hull. And they discovered that Tesla is seeking nearly 100 million US dollars to build nine electric semi-truck charging stations along a route from the southern border of Texas to northern California. This is according to emails seen by Bloomberg. It's not an announcement by Tesla. It was rather uncovered from documents filed some time ago, actually, and revealed by those two journalists at Bloomberg. Wonderful original reporting, which was picked up far and wide. I hope they get credited everywhere. Those uh, those blogs uh, write their own versions of that story. But, uh, you know, it's journalism, uh, wonderful uh, at its its best sometimes, uh, does things like this. Uh, I know that uh, dictators and people like Elon Musk uh, find journalists annoying and pesky because nobody in power likes to be challenged, but wonderful to uh, find bits of information, nuggets of information out because they were able to find out this information. So thank you for those uh, journalists for doing that. They found out that each station is proposed to be equipped with eight chargers, each charger 750 kilowatts for the Tesla semi-vehicles, and they would install four chargers for trucks made by its competitors using the MCS plug, I imagine. This hasn't been... I can't find the original documents that they talked about, um, and so I'll chase up just to get that confirmation. I wouldn't think it would be any other plug in the world because Charin, the CCS organisation, have their MCS plug, which is different to Tesla's mega charger plug, which I find frustrating, but, you know, such is life. If successful, it would be the first charging network of its kind in the United States. It would enable long-haul electrified trucking all the way from Texas to California, along with regional-haul trucking in Texas, Arizona, and California. Well, Tesla is currently producing their semi-truck in very limited numbers for a select customer or two and their own operations while they test it out. So they've had limited need for mega chargers because it's really been point-to-point operations or even uh, depot out and then back to depot again. Tesla has previously deployed some mega chargers at customer distribution centers and their own facilities like Gigafactory in Nevada. Mobile mega chargers have also been installed at strategic locations. My friend Kyle from Out of Spec who I do the Friday morning podcast with, along with Tom Malogny and Dominic Yoni. He did a great video recently, actually, of the 
Megacharger that's in uh, Baker. Is that right, Baker, California? Uh, it's a, a really great video, as all of Kyle's videos are, and you can check that out on his channel. The new plan for the permanent megachargers aligns with Tesla's original promise made in the unveiling of the semi in, <clears throat> this is embarrassing to say, 2017. Yeah. Tesla executives told the officials in Texas that the corridor could qualify for federal grants that will be dispersed as part of the new bipartisan infrastructure program created to modernize the U.S. transit system. Tesla asked the state officials in these uncovered documents to write a letter in support of the charging project to include in its funding application. That was submitted back in June. The U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Highway Administration, overseeing the grant, said the agency is reviewing the applications, expecting to announce recipients later this year. California's South Coast Air Quality Management District led the application on behalf of Tesla. Aaron Katzenstein, an executive at the office's Tech Advancement Unit, said Tesla is seeking $97 million of federal money and plans to put up just $24 million itself. Unclear if they would pursue the project if the federal funds weren't forthcoming. A 1,800-mile route would begin in Texas, near the Texas uh, Tesla Austin headquarters. And uh, about 150 miles from the location of the new factory it's building in Nuevo León in Mexico. Well, if you ask me, another genius piece of Tesla using what's available and what's out there. I know that it's critics of the company uh, call them, you know, subsidy truffle hunters. And Elon Musk just, you know, rides on the back of free money that gets handed out. That's the other side of the argument. But I think this is a genius bit of, well, if this is out there and we can fund a charging network that would link up our factories and that gets it, you know, three quarters paid for and we'll stump up the rest of the money and we get a nice charging network built so we can run our trucks and helps us out. Others can use it if they want to, but ultimately it links up the routes that we would build it out anyway and somebody else pays for it. (laughs) I mean, when big companies do that, they're normally praised. When Tesla do that, they get criticised. So, I don't know. What can you do? Let's move on. Uh, The Ford F-150 Lightning, after the recent price cuts, has had a surge in orders. Ford announced that orders for the F-150 Lightning truck have risen 600% following the very significant price cuts earlier last month. The company now aims to triple their annual production by the autumn to meet the increased demand after a six-week overhaul, the expansion of the Ford Rouge EV Centre. The company anticipates reaching their annual targeted run rate of 150,000 EV trucks by the autumn. That won't mean they make this many, that many this year, by the way. Uh, the actual production for this year will fall short because of the shutdown and the slower speeds before the revamp. It'll be about 70,000 units, I think, they make this year. That's still really respectable, though. Ford anticipates the increased production will reduce rating times for customers. Ford did adjust their production goals, pushing back their target of 600,000 EVs in total to the end of 2024, meant at the end of this year. Not a big delay, if you ask me. Despite the temporary shutdown at the EV plant, which limited customer deliveries over the past couple of months, Ford is ready to speed up that ramp-up process. They did reveal that their highest demand trim is the XLT, accounts for over 50% of orders. The Lightning Pro, the cheapest trim is now available for retail customers in very limited numbers. Now, when I've been going to the Ford F-150 Lightning website, as I do, I try, and even though I'm not in the US, obviously, you you can tell from my accent, I'm not based there, um, I do try and keep on top of the 
all the websites around the world, the configurators. I like to dive in if I've got five minutes. Ha <laughs> ha, that's a joke if I've got a spare five minutes. No, but it's part of my job, actually, here, uh, that I am on top of it as much as I possibly can be. And every time I've gone to that website and you go gone to the Ford Lightning Pro bit, that's the cheapest one, it always says closed for retail. So opening again be quick if you want that cheapest pro trim which by the way is the world's greatest value truck if you ask me Uh, the revamp will drive higher quality and improve efficiency with new tools like equipment that automatically measures and confirms vehicle body fit precision battery pack production is also ramping at the Rossenville components plant and their Van Dyke EV powertrain center and they're scaling production of their EV power units to meet the higher number of vehicles going through assembly Big price cuts recently of the F-150 Lightning, $10,000 off some models, and that is what has driven demands. Now, they are also focusing on how to attract their traditional customers. That's where they're going to focus their sales efforts, acknowledging the challenges that exist around customer awareness and acceptance of EV trucks in mainstream buyers. And that's, you know, nobody knows an F-150 Lightning or an F-150 buyer you know, you know, not necessarily electric, but nobody knows that buyer better than Ford. Ford have a bazillion data points on truck buyers, and they know exactly what to do. Um, it might not be quick or as quick as Ford like, and uh, and you know, we need to make sure that the best information gets out there. It's why I do this podcast every day, and uh, hopefully, we spread good information about electric vehicles. We challenge things when they need to be challenged. We make sure that people are behaving to the highest possible behaviors in EV world as well, uh, and that the right information is out there good, honest, accurate information. And part of the job that I, I like to do, but you know, Ford have a much bigger job than me, uh, which is to educate all those F-150 buyers. Ford's EV passenger vehicle operations on track to lose $4.5 billion this year, but CEO Jim Farley not backing down on the plans to uh, triple the pace of the Lightning to 150000 a year and there are other vehicles as well. Let's talk about the Ford, sorry, let's talk about the Volkswagen ID3. That also saw a surge in orders in China following a recent price cut, a significant price cut actually. The historical low price started at about $17,000, $125,000, yuan, uh, lasting until the end of the month in response uh, to Volkswagen slipping lead really in China's auto industry as they have fallen behind. BYD, China's largest EV maker, surpassed VW in passenger car sales in the first three months of the year. At VW's general meeting in May, shareholders questioned their plans to keep up with others like Tesla and BYD. So price cuts ensued, and it seems to have worked. Uh, Now, they do have joint ventures in China. This is the SAIC VW business reporting 10,000 new orders uh, because of the price cuts of the vehicle based on the MEB platform with about 280 miles of WLTP uh, range on about 60 kilowatt hour battery. The price cuts have generated a spark of interest for now, but now they have to make the decision, do they keep those low prices, take a loss on margins, do they raise the prices, lose the sales? It's so competitive in China. And if you keep listening, I've got a China update at the end of the podcast. Um, I, I could go really big on China news all the time, but I try and pick out the important China stuff. There's so much happening there, but uh, so, some of it's so little, uh, it, it is irrelevant to Western buyers for now. But I want to tell you about it because it is going to be important so that no one turns around in a couple of years and goes, oh, where does Chinese cars come from that are on sale now? So you know, and I know, but I'll get to that at the end of the podcast, right? Stick around, we'll take a break and back in a mo. 
Well, if you'd like to strip out the ads from this podcast, if you're listening to the free version, you're more than welcome to, to sign up to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash evnewsdaily. And if not, this podcast will always be free. Now let's talk about another fantastic result for another country going electric. Back in July, EV sales, well, plug-in sales, accounted for 60% of Sweden's auto market, up from 50% uh, from the same time last year. Full electric vehicles increased their share. Plug-ins were stable. Overall, auto volume was down a little bit. So for EV sales to be up so much is such an amazing achievement. The best-selling vehicle in July of any powertrain, regardless of how they were powered, was the BYD Atto 3. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Uh, In terms of volume, plug-in hybrids declined a little bit, while BEVs, pure electric cars, grew a little. Uh, So behind the BYD Atto 3, we also saw uh, big sellers like uh, the Volvo XC60, that's the plug-in, Tesla Model Y also had a huge lead on the sort of trailing figures because it kind of ebbs and flows with Tesla's sales. So you don't you can't always look at the monthly uh, numbers. You need to look at either the quarterlies or the year so far. And that Model Y will be number one or number two, I imagine, in Sweden over the long term uh, versus cars like the ID4 or Volvo's XC40. But still, the monthly numbers are pretty interesting to look at. Now, an article from Automotive News. It is behind their paywall, so I don't want to go too big on this out of you know respect for content they put behind the paywall. But I'll give you the, the, the gist of it because it's really important. The chief technology officer of Stellantis has been talking. His name is Ned Couric. And he emphasises that while software is integral to modern vehicles, the car is the primary product. He believes that customers buy a car for the driving experience, not the software at the moment. And you and I know that software is increasingly important. And actually, uh, it is the secret source most of the time. But in Current customers' minds, they think they're still buying the car. They just expect the software to be good. They haven't made that shift yet to buying a car because it runs the best software. Oh, it happens to have, you know, wheels and a steering wheel and seats and things like that. But you know, there will be a time when that happens. Uh, Currick's responsibilities have expanded because of the existing platforms and vehicles having to take on a wider uh, remit, really, isn't it? Software is crucial to vehicles these days. And... Uh, Stellantis plans to respond to the markets with a goal of 100% of their vehicles in Europe being all EV by 2030. North America will be 50%. Uh, The CEO, Carlos Tavares, ruled out setting up a separate entity to build the combustion vehicles like Ford have done. He views it as a distraction and disruptive to the organisation. The concept of a software-defined vehicle uh, to Curric means the vehicle that is easier to build, manage, and operate because of software that helps in designing the vehicle in a simulated environment, experimenting with what works, what doesn't, and then producing a physical vehicle itself. So software, not only the thing that you and I use at the end point, but increasing use of software and things like digital twins to create vehicles in either with, you know, with a form of AI, but also just in a digital environment. So before you even bash a piece of metal into shape or even grab some clay and form a clay prototype doing it all in digital software to form the absolute best vehicle you can to shorten that process from concept to getting it into someone's driveway fascinating article if you are a subscriber to that website i'll pop a link in the show notes so you can read more okay let's move on on the lamborghini revuelto a two-year wait for the v12 
plug-in hypercar. The Lambo, the first V12 plug-in hybrid uh, supercar, has received so many orders. There's now a two-year wait for that car, only a couple of months after it was first revealed. And, of course, it's going to sell in small numbers as well. Lamborghini investing €150 million and expanding their company facilities in Santa Gata Bolognese to accommodate production of the Rivuelto. They are obviously not going all electric yet. So many of these hypercar makers have said that they can't go full electric because of the technology or it's not there yet. So Mate Rimat said, you know, hold my charging plug and showed them how it was done. And so many of them are coming round now to things like adding a little bit of electric power and going, oh, well, maybe it's not so bad. The Revuelto is a car made of carbon fibre, handcrafted, and some automated processes in there as well to make it not only light but incredibly strong as well. Incredible power-to-weight ratio, they say, in that and part of their move to a full electric model in 2028. And, okay, it's not a car that you will buy or I will buy. Or maybe you'll buy it. I don't know who you are. Uh, but um, it's interesting, isn't it, that these are the kind of halo cars that the, you know, the uh, combustion bros get behind. Oh, we'll never go electric. And then they go electric and they're brilliant. And then people have to go, oh, yeah, electric's not bad, is it? Right, a couple more stories. Aptera, the Californian startup, is gearing up to start production of their electric car. It's the one that is a very sleek, aerodynamic, almost teardrop shape, if you can picture that one. You know what the Aptera is. It has solar panels on the roof and the boot and the bonnet and everywhere, really. And in a sunny climate, they can produce enough power for 40 miles a day because it's so small and so lightweight a three-wheeler a motorcycle actually if you're going to be technical about how it's going to be classified in the united states but it is a fully enclosed motorcycle with things that you would expect in a car like air conditioning and a sound system very energy efficient car which will be you would think the most efficient car on the road sorry not a car motorcycle but you know what i mean in terms of miles per kilowatt hour they do have thousands of pre um, of orders and they are in pre-production right now they have struggled, Aptera, over the years, many sort of chapters to the story of that. And if they can simply get a car made for whatever it's going to be, twenty-something thousand dollars and out the door, if it's forty grand and out the door and with a customer, a huge achievement. And then they've got to do it again and again and again a thousands more times. So they're doing the hard yards. I've spoke, I've interviewed them actually before, uh, two of the guys from Aptera. Uh, I, I felt that they were genuine and it wasn't just a you know a ruse to raise funds and then go bust five minutes later and take the money and run as we've seen in ev world uh, sometimes with all of the uh, excitement around electric vehicles i don't, I don't it, it seems the real deal uh, but they're not well funded and well backed by you know a sovereign wealth fund or something so it, it won't be easy what they're doing but we do wish aptera all the best if they can make it there now a U.S. Department of Energy report next, I thought was really interesting, says that DC fast chargers, which get so much of the attention, constitute just 21% of all public charging stations in the United States. They do a quarterly survey of public charging infrastructure, and the uh, the first quarter of the this year, 2023, saw a 7.6% in, increase in DC fast charging available. And yet I think most people, when they talk about charging, get so preoccupied in DC fast charging, which is crucial. I, I'm not belittling it. It's crucial in long-distance travel for con, you know commuter concerns and all those kind of things. But 
if you have an electric vehicle that you use for a certain purpose and you can leave your home and get to where you're going to and there's destination charging, ignore DC fast charging. If you can leave your house, go somewhere and come back and not charge en route, then ignore DC fast charging. And as it turns out, we put so much focus on that, and, I, and we need to, but it's only a fifth of the charging that's installed in the United States because level two public charging using a 240-volt circuit, uh, DC fast charging more commonly known as level three charging, uh, the, the, the bias is much more towards slow charging, and that it needs to be a part of the conversation, I think, a lot more uh, than it, it, it really is. Right-sizing the battery, right-sizing the vehicle, for the purpose, right-sizing the charging, the charge speed, and the infrastructure as well. I've long talked about these pictures that we see coming out of China of car parks, not of just five or six chargers, but a car park with you know, 400 spaces, and they've all got a, you know the equivalent of a two-pin plug or a three-pin plug, you know, uh, because someone's going to work for the day plugging in. They might only add a few kilowatt hours, or they might just add enough miles to get home again. But, man, I love to see that somewhere else outside of China. And it's happening in some there's some Scandinavian airports, I think, that have probably put in hundreds. I forget. Ah, oh, was it Schiphol Airport, maybe? Uh, so maybe, maybe it was... Maybe it's Amsterdam. I, I forget. Um, but it was... You know, we've seen some examples of that where they don't just put in one or two. They put hundreds of slow chargers. Very good for airport, by the way. If you're going to go, well, going to go away for a long weekend and leave your car plugged in for two or three days or longer... Goodness me, please, please never install DC fast charging in those locations. Okay, let's move on. Uh, This is a great couple of stories um, to get to. And firstly, Ukraine's energy capacity is about to be significantly enhanced thanks to Tesla power walls following months of destructive missile attacks on Ukraine's critical infrastructure by Russia. The power walls will be arriving in Ukraine and are capable of providing power at peak times, outages at night. And it's been a a result of a collaboration between the organisation Direct Relief and other partners. These are the power wall too, so 13.5 kilowatt hour. You can stack them up to 10 in a cluster. They've got the gateway system, the backup gateway too with them as well. And so this is going to be crucial to people heading into a very cold Ukrainian winter. I know it's summer right now um, and essential to keep the power on and stabilise energy to people, which is amazing. And another great story, Texas is currently grappling with a severe heat wave and the state's grid is being kept operational in part thanks to a large scale battery. How about that? The recent peak in demand on the ERCOT, is that how I say it? Energy grid was met without blackouts, unlike the uh, winter of 2021, possible because of the increasing scale of renewable energy and the increasing scale of that energy storage on the Texas grid to provide clean power when things like old fossil plants have been taken offline. A great story, and I'll pop a link to that story in the show notes if you'd like to read more. Right, a quick Chinese roundup before we go. BYD last month in July sold a record of 262,000 vehicles in July and the year so far, 1.5 million vehicles. They want to sell 3 million vehicles this year. NIO announced a record 20,462 deliveries in July of EVs, 100% up on the previous year. Notably, the all-new ES6 with 10,000 deliveries. Geely's brand, Zika, delivering 12,000 vehicles in July. That's up 140% year on year. That's an amazing increase. In the first half of the year, they delivered 54. 
4,500 vehicles and aim to deliver 140,000 this year. Zika's uh, on, a, on a roll in China right now. 300 stores in 75 cities in China and expanding into Europe, in Sweden and the Netherlands as well. Leap Motor reported 14,500 vehicle deliveries in July, up 20% on the same month last year. Their flagship C-Series, more than 85% of all deliveries there at Leap Motor. Recent price cuts on their BEVs have uh, stimulated sales. And GAC Ion reporting 45,000 EV sales in July. Now that we're into August, we get the July numbers, you see, representing an 80% increase year on year, selling 250,000 EVs in the first seven months of this year, with new models like the Hyper GT, a midsize sedan with their advanced autonomy in it as well. Hey, before I go, I want to talk about uh, Octopus Electric Vehicles. Now, Octopus Electroverse is a sponsor of this podcast. You probably know that. But Octopus EV, a subsidiary of the energy group Octopus, has a newly launched, nearly new scheme. So salary sacrifice is something that we have in the UK, and it's... It's pre-tax, so we pay a fair chunk of tax here in the UK for my international listeners. Uh, can be 40 or 50% of what you earn. Hubba hubba, we are a high-tax country. But... Um, Anything you can get out of your paycheck before tax is great, like pension. So you can put up to 40 grand. It might be going up to 60 grand, I think I read, uh, of your salary before the government get a penny of it in tax into your pension. You can't access your pension to your 50s, 60s, etc. But still... It's a great way of getting money out tax-free. Bike schemes, electric bike schemes operate this way, and octopus electric vehicles work this way. So you can pay for a car in the money that you earn before the government start to say, well, okay, how much tax do you owe us? And so that's what's it's called salary sacrifice, or you see it called sal sac sometimes. And it's really interesting if that's the way you want to buy, uh, want, want to drive a car. You're not buying a car. The scheme allows employees to drive secondhand EVs now. It's always been new EVs until now, but Octopus have added used EVs. And that's brilliant because... Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, the Renault Zoe's, the Peugeot E208s, the Vauxhall Mockeries are all on for like two, three hundred pounds a month. And that cost include, it includes insurance, includes maintenance expenses. It's all in. It's That's what you pay for your mobility. And they're in good condition. Premium versions like the Model 3s also available under the scheme and at half the price of a personal lease because you're getting that. It's a used car, but it's in good condition. Who cares? And also it's tax-free. So again, it wouldn't be for everybody. Uh, They're all less than two years old. They're all fully serviced. They're all proper. And you also get access to the Octopus uh, energy tariffs as well. I mean, everyone gets access to it, but it all comes with it. So uh, Octopus CEO Fiona Howarth, who I've met you know many times and it is just a, such a rock star in the EV world, emphasised the need for a robust second-hand market for EVs to support the transition to net zero. I've been banging that drum for years. I love the used EV market. Like the new stuff gets all the attention. I completely agree with Fiona. I've been saying it for years. Second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand EVs are where the juice really happens and people get into cars at a lower cost and you can do that now with Octopus EV getting a nearly new salary sacrifice scheme. Uh, Fiona is just such uh, a, a rock star in the EV world, like I say. First time I met her was years ago. I think she was doing something either with the Omi or 
some technology and she had it installed in her garage at her house and she was like oh come round and see it and I was like <laughs> are you sure and we sat in her kitchen had a cup of tea and talked about electric vehicles and she was like yeah just come round to my house and see it installed in you know in my garage uh, and I was in London working that day and she lives you know she has, lives in London so at the time she did um, and I'm like wow here's the CEO of a company who is absolutely making waves in the industry saying to an absolute nobody uh, like me uh, at the time hey come round and, and have a look and here I am all these years later still a nobody <laughs> and um, uh, but it was you know and, and since then all the times I've met uh, Fiona at uh, Octopus EV just it continues to just smash it with what they're doing there and um and yes, as I say, a sponsor of this podcast is connected to them, Octopus Electroverse, so full disclosure. Global public charging made simple with one app and one map. A one app and one map. Also thanks to Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Porsche of the Village of Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley's EV Review Island YouTube channel, undergoing a rebrand, I'll tell you more, and Lease Plan Electric Moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Have a good one, see you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid.